To be the production designer on Drunk History, do you have to have a drunk history? We're going to find out today on On the Fly Filmmaking. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> we have to have Ludacris for you. For me. Yes, yes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on On the Fly Filmmaking. I've got Chloe Arbiter with me. Welcoming her to her first time here at Popcorn Talk and on On the Fly Filmmaking with some ludicrous. <laughs> ludicrous. So tell everyone who you are and where they can find you. Not on Twitter, apparently. I don't have a great Twitter, but <laughs> um, you can find my work at ChloeArbiter.com. Yes. Go check out her website. Lots of really cool things here. And I'm going to try to talk her into more Instagram because you guys know Instagram is my favorite. Uh, so I think that would be a really cool place for you. But the reason we played ludicrous is because you said that when you're at like, crunch time, you get into some ludicrous. Ludicrous is my go-to music when I have to get a design done, and um, I feel like if anyone from my crew is watching, they're both like smiling and maybe cringing right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah, they know. <laughs> they know. Like if the ludicrous is coming out from underneath the door, like just let her you go, step away. Yeah, let her finish. So yeah, yeah, I That's appreciate great. you played it for me. It yeah. brings me back. To, yeah, because I want yeah. to make you like in the moment feel right. <laughs> When you might be doing something that's on the fly, because I feel like if it's at crunch time and Ludacris is playing, you probably had a lot of on-the-fly moments. A lot of on-the-fly moments. Right yeah. on. So let's tell everyone a little bit about what you do. You're a production designer, and mm -hmm. you've worked on tons and tons of different projects that you can see on her website. Uh, but tell me about what project, production design is to you. Okay. Um, for me, production design, um, what it means and what my job is, is, is it's the person who comes up with the entire aesthetic for the entire show, which is sort of like a broad nebulous concept. So a lot of people call it set design, which it is. We do design all of the sets, but it also comes in with prop design and sometimes costume design, um, depending on the project. And we really come up with the look and the feel, and we come up with the world that the director is trying to create with their project. Okay, cool. So what's the... Um, how did you get into production design? Well, I was always a crafty kid mm -hmm. and I was always like an artsy kid, but I, um, never really found an outlet that, um, encompassed all the things I like to do. And so, um, I started school as an art major and then I took a film class just kind of randomly and I realized like, oh, this is really cool and like sort of an applicable way to be an artist. Mm -hmm. Not that being a painter isn't, but, um, and then, uh, I was in college and, um, I got really, much more into costume design. I love to sew and I love making costumes. So when I moved, I moved out to LA shortly after I graduated and I wanted to be a costume designer. So I started and, um, I was a costume assistant like once and I made a bunch of like elf costumes. It was like a fantasy thing. And, um, <laughs> it was really cool, but I saw the art department like building this crazy throne room and I'm like, Oh my God, that is totally my more, my yeah. style. So like I should be doing that instead. Right on. Yeah. And then did you get to move over at that point or when, or was it a different project that you moved over to, like, art department first? Yeah, so then I moved over into art department after that project. I talked with the production designer of that show, and um, I jumped on his next show. And from there, I did set dressing, and then I kind of worked my way up um, into being a production designer. Oh, right on. Yeah. So uh, so let's, let's tell people a little bit about the different positions within art department. So mm -hmm. what was the first one that you got into? I started as a set dresser. Okay, so, so that's the person that... Yeah, that's, like, the person carrying the couch... I'm really strong. Don't yes, this girl. You. So I was the person like carrying the couch, putting it in place. You know, the decorator picks everything out. The set dresser puts it into the shot. Okay. And then um, I did some decorating, which I found was really my strong point. So, um, you know, I, I 
I really enjoyed that, but I saw what the designer was doing, and I was like, I could do that. Okay. And I could do it really well, I bet. So I kind of skipped art directing. Um, and the art director's job is a lot of technical work. Um, and a lot of times an art director will apprentice for a while before they become a designer. But for me, I found that um, I kind of bypassed that. Okay. Bit. Yeah. All right. So, um, and then I did, I also did prop mastering a couple times and, um, and the prop mastering is, that's the person who's in charge of anything an actor holds. So okay. if it's a cup, if it's, um, you know, eyeglasses, mm -hmm. uh, that's all under the prop master. And then are you out buying the props as mm -hmm. well as like in charge of where they go and yeah. And fabricating mm -hmm. them as well. So okay. I come from a strong fabrication background and that's, I really liked prop mastering, but again, I was like. I could be on the top of this yes, and I could own it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then after Prop Master. Um, so the Prop Master and Set Decorator kind of uh, are on this, a similar plane. The art director is above them and the production designer is above that. Okay, right on. And yeah. now here you are. Here we are. Production design. So yeah. uh, before I want to get into drunk history, I want to uh -huh. know a little bit about some of the other projects that had led you to there. Okay. Um, well, I... Drunk history is all period stuff, of course. And so, um, hence the name history, drunk history. So, um, I have done quite a bit of historical, um, production design before, and I'd also done a lot of fabrication and miniatures and scenic painting and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that kind of is what led me to drunk history, but, um, I finished a movie called Brave New Jersey mm -hmm. and I finished that in 20... 15, okay. I think. And it actually comes, I just found out it comes out um, like this weekend. Oh, that's great. I know. What good out, timing. I know. Yeah, so go um, check it out. Yeah. What's the name of it? Brave New Jersey. Brave New Jersey. Go yeah. see it. Yeah, it's got a release in um, Los Angeles and New York and a couple other cities. Um, but that was set in uh, the 1930s. And um, actually, the, the design for that was really awesome. And it was really quaint and really minimal. Um, and uh, I feel like doing that and researching that and, you know, really getting involved in that time period kind of helped me in my work with Drunk History as well. Okay. Yeah. And then and then what brought you into Drunk History? I had worked with the line producer before, and um, she had called me and said, hey, Drunk History needs a production designer. Are you available tomorrow? And I uh -huh. was like, oh, um, I'm, I guess so, sure. And so um, she's like, well, you need to come in and interview with the guys. And the guys are Jeremy Connor and Derek Waters. They both are the directors. Derek's the creator of the show. And um, they brought me in to interview that next day. And then the day after, I think I started. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had no lead up. I had no idea. So it was like a pretty crazy start. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So and then and from my like cyber stalking you oh i saw on your like resume that you did the opening for new girl I was, or you participated in that yeah, somehow actually um i was on the team that built that whole thing okay. so i um painted all those little moving yes like the little cutout uh scenery mm -hmm. and the i love trees it and yeah because yeah, i was actually watching that like it was on i like two screens and it was on my my one screen um, like playing on Netflix, and then I'm like cyber stalking you, and I'm like, what? That's, that's, so funny. that's the show. <laughs> yeah, I like love New Girl. Yeah, and that that whole what's crazy is so when we got that job, um, the New Girl was just a pilot, and mm -hmm. like nobody knew what it was going to become. And so the art department team that built that was um, myself and three others. So mm -hmm. only four people made that whole intro. Yeah, and um, it was designed by an agency, but we executed it, and um, then it like became humongous, and people are like, you worked on that, and I'm like, well, the credits, yeah. you know, but the 
cool part anyway. Yeah, it yeah. is the cool part. Yeah. yeah, that was like always my favorite part, and I thought it really wrapped up kind of what that character was and yeah. where they started with it. Yeah. Now it's turned into a little more about everyone, mm-hmm. so they've changed the opening. But yeah. I still, I still love that. That's original so funny. Opening. We get a lot of comments about that. The yeah. people that I worked with on that were like, "People love that show," which yeah. is awesome. That's great. Yeah. And uh, so now, working with Drunk History, mm-hmm. um, with my opening that custom made for you, I loved it. Do you do you get drunk when you're making these things? Oh my god! Like maybe like a it shot would or two. Probably be a lot easier if we did. Yeah. But we don't. All of the drinking portions happen um, yeah. way before. So right. um, before, by the time I get to there, it's just work mode. Right. Just yeah. to clarify, the whole production is not wasted on drunk history. Sadly, we're not. Although, oh. I mean, there's been a few times that I'm like, you know, it would help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, we Definitely. Don't Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about drunk history then now. Mm-hmm. You worked on, was it season four? Season four, mm-hmm. and we just finished shooting season five. Right on. Um, like a week and a half ago. And uh, from what I understand, that's a pretty like aggressive production schedule. It's crazy. Okay, so yeah. what's, what is the like beginning to end for an, one episode? Okay, so um, what happens first is Derek interviews somebody about a story, mm-hmm. and um, they like for hours, like drunkenly ramble. That's all real. And a lot of people think it's not real, but I see all the uncut footage and it's totally real. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they edit that down into like a semi-manageable um, story about something historical. Then our um, the directors and our writer kind of like shape that into a script. And then okay. that's what I get. So by the time I'm on board, they hand me a script. And... Um, it's really interesting in Drunk History the way the scripts are structured because they're very detailed in terms of where scenes take place. You know, it'll say, like, Abe Lincoln's bedroom, uh, Congress Hall. But those are sort of uh, a lot of times supplanted by the uh, writer because, you know, we don't know where every conversation took place yes. in history. Like, we don't always know. And so I'll get the script, and the first thing I do is I look at all the scene headings, and that tells me where things are taking place. Like I said, Abe Lincoln's bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, Congress Hall. And then I'll list all those out. And then I sit down with the location manager. And because we shoot so quick, um, one of those stories has to fit into one shoot day. So we shoot, whenever you see Drunk History and you see one story, that's in 12 hours of filmmaking. Wow. We make that. So sometimes it's up to 15 sets a day, which is Ooh. like a kamikaze mission. Yeah. But we do it, and we've done it now a bunch, so right. I guess we can't stop doing uh-huh. that um but yeah so then we um i'll sit down with the location manager and we'll figure out like okay well what locations really seem like they could fit this and then if we have one or two outliers like let's say abe lincoln's bedroom we're not in a place that has a good bedroom or we couldn't like build something around that's a good bedroom i'll talk to derek and jeremy and the writer and say is it more likely that we could do this like in abe lincoln's garden and you know what's awesome for me is that that's pretty unusual for a production designer to be like let's change an entire scene yeah you know like that's not something i get all the time so drunk history is just one huge collaboration in that way so anyway we'll go through the scenes we'll kind of figure out where they should go pick a location and then that's when like we really hit the ground running so um, me and my team will research kind of like the highlights of that story and find out how much is available on this because a lot of times they find stories that have like almost no like physical evidence or, um, you know, cataloged evidence. So we have to kind of get creative about how we're going to tell that story. Um, and a lot of that kind of leads into like why we use backdrops and miniatures and Mm -hmm. like drunk history loves that stuff. And it's not, it's by design because 
we're trying to tell something in 12 hours. So we've got to really be creative about how we do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about the like backdrops and miniatures in here. Like yeah. how are you integrating those into these historical sets? So a lot of times we'll do, I'll do that location breakdown. I'll talk with everybody and then we'll still have like some out major outlier like, okay, well this one takes place in front of a dam, Chloe. So how are you going to do that? Cause we're shooting at a hotel. Right. And I'll be like, well, okay, I guess we can build, you know, we don't have the money to build like a real dam and we don't have the time to shoot it anyway. So a lot of times that's where the miniatures or backdrops come from. Okay. So it really comes out of like, there's some aspect of this story that we don't want to lose, that we don't want to change. Um, but we don't have the ability to show the real thing. So that's when we get into the miniature world and the backdrop world. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so it's become kind of a beloved part yeah. of the aesthetic of Drunk History, which as a production designer, again, like is just a dream come true because mm -hmm. it means that like nothing's off limits. We yeah. can make anything and it might be made of cardboard, but like we're still telling the story and, you know, Drunk History always aims to tell the most accurate representation of history as possible. You know, we don't go for the jokes. The yeah. jokes are kind of because of the drunk person. Like, mm -hmm. they make the jokes for us. We try and be as, like, serious about our history skills within reason, mm -hmm. you know, as possible. So um, I think that the backdrops also, and, and the miniatures kind of play into that drunken, like, when you're telling a story and you're drunk, like, it's a lot more fantastic yes. than maybe it really was in real life. Yeah, I definitely and, think that that lends to the storytelling, yeah. and, and that's why it works with the aesthetic, because you've got this, like, the fish was this big right, kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, we always aim for, like, really well done community theater. Like, that's always, whenever we're struggling or if I get backed into a corner or my team feels like, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to tell this. We always are like, okay, what if we were like a community theater that had like 80 bucks and like a really handy paint guy? Yeah. Like, what could we make out of this? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for instance, in season four, um, actually in my interview for Drunk History, um, the first question they asked me is like, Chloe, we're doing a Titanic story. So what, what do we do? Oh. And I was like, um, well, I think we make a miniature of the Titanic and then we go in a swimming pool and we break it in half and yeah. I can carve you a styrofoam rock that looks like an iceberg. And that's exactly what we ended up doing. Yes. <laughs> so like, I mean, that's how we, that's how we tell the story because there's no way we could do the James Cameron version. You yeah. Know? There's no way. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of like the, the miniature part and okay. the backdrop part of drink history. Yeah, and that's so great because, uh, you know, like on this show, we're talking about a lot of on-the-fly stuff and mm -hmm. we're, you know, a lot of our audience are, are people who are new to production or wanting to shoot things on their own at home and yeah. to know that even a, like, television production is doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. Yeah. We're going to Joanne Fabrics at 9 p.m. and crying over the fabric samples there, too. Yes. Like, it's, that's, if that's what you're doing, you're doing it right. Yeah, where, I, where do I have $2 out of my sofa yeah. to try and, like, make this thing happen and yeah. some spray paint that was from, like, something two years ago? Exactly. I mean, and that's the wonderful part is that I think for good storytelling and good production design, you don't... And money helps. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. Like, um... I'd love a big pile of money to make amazing things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the reality is that you can make so many great things without a lot of money. And I think um, Drunk History is a really good example of that. It started as this little web show and it, it's become, you know, it's now in its fifth season. And I think it's really amazing that, you know, the budget has increased since its web days. But I wouldn't say like so drastically that we're we're not building the Titanic. We're not yeah. building these crazy spaces. Like we're still doing it the way they did it in the web series. Yeah, that's great. And mm -hmm. now and that is successful. And that's something 
that audiences now get. Right. And they're, like, on board with them. They're, yes, like, they like a little homemade yeah. in their entertainment. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, so I make the miniatures for Drunk History, and I always aim, like, to do a really good job, but I often only have, like, maybe a day or uh-huh. a day and a half. So, like, sometimes they're, like, a real solid effort, but, you know, and I'll show up and be like, I'm, this is... Sorry, it's you kind feel like of... you're always showing up to class yeah, and you're like, I know, Do I like, get an A? Yeah, and you know what's funny is that Derek and Jeremy are just the most supportive people because they're like, we love it! It tells exactly what we need it to, and that's really the essence of it. And I think, like, with good storytelling, it's the essence of, you know, what you're trying to tell because how many movies have we seen or shows have we watched that you can tell they had piles of money, but it misses the mark in the storytelling category a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, this looks really great, but, like, yeah. I don't really get it. How does it fit? It's yeah, just like, exactly. It's just kind of arbitrary. Right. But these, it, it goes together. It fits right. with the way the story goes. So yeah. I really like that. And yeah. I like that your work has affected the the way it, the stories are told. Oh, yeah. I will say that season five, get ready for miniatures galore. Yes. Because in season four, that was my first season, I did a handful of miniatures. And then um, Derek pulled me aside and he's like, for season five, like, we're we're going hard on miniatures and I was like great let's do it so in season five we're actually doing some other things we haven't done before we're um we started doing matte paintings which Mm. is kind of an old Hollywood art that um there's still matte painters and big movies still use them but I would say it's pretty uncommon Mm -hmm. in tv and matte is what so matte painting is um a piece of glass Mm -hmm. that has a painting on it and then there's like a blank space in the middle and the camera shoots through the blank space and then the painted edges are create the world. Gotcha. And so like a lot of really big old movies used to do it. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like that scene where they're walking in the warehouse, that's uh-huh. all painted, you know. Charlie Chaplin did a lot of matte yeah. painting stuff. And so this year Jeremy said to me like I want to do this scene. I'm not really sure how to do it. We could do it as a miniature. And I said, well, what about a matte painting? And so it kind of spiraled. And so we ended up doing a couple in season five, which yeah. I'm so excited. Oh, I can't wait to yeah, see I'm that. so excited for people to see because I hope that they look so good that you can't tell because that's the goal. But we shot them in a way that it's a little bit like, what am I looking at? Uh-huh. Is this a filmmaking trick? And it's all in camera, which right. is really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like that because it's, it's going to be something that audiences aren't necessarily used to seeing unless mm-hmm. they're, like, movie people. Right, right. Like, no movie history. And right. then they're going to be exposed to this new thing. Yeah. I totally see it catching on. I hope so. I mean, it was really, really exciting. The first day that we set it up, I was so nervous because you have to calculate so many things. And we move so quick that we often only have maybe 15, 20 minutes per set mm-hmm. that I'll even talk to the directors about, you know, Sometimes we don't talk about any sets. They just show up and I've put something up and they shoot it because we move so quick. Um, So for these matte paintings, we had spent more time kind of calculating how they're going to go. And I was definitely biting my nails as it went up. But it ended up looking great. And um, Jeremy was shooting that day and he just was like over the moon, which made me feel so good. Oh, so so good. Yeah. 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 Like I always like when people are like, you did a good job. I know. The attaboy is why we all do it, right? Yeah. That's That's, all it is. Like you pay me in like peanuts, but you tell me I do a good job. (laughs) Right. Feed the ego. Yes. That's what I need. It makes me keep doing better. So I I know we, we, so we talked about per episode, it's pretty fast, but Mm -hmm. then you guys are shooting like 30 days Right, in, so, in well, we, we shoot in blocks, and it's sort of a necessity because we have, do so much content. So in 30 days, we may have somewhere like 350 sets, which mm-hmm. is, like, just bonkers. Yeah. Even saying it out loud, like, gives me yeah. a headache. Say it again? So, yeah. 30 days? 30 days, 350 sets. Ooh, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> so what we have to do is we... Um, 
we prep in the beginning and we kind of get as much of the season laid out as possible. And Mm -hmm. we kind of determine when we want to shoot things, like how should we group stories together to shoot? And then, um, we shoot for 10 days and then we have five days off and then we do a production meeting, location scout. Like I do all my design presentations and then we do that again, 10 days of shooting, then five days of hiatus where we do it all over again. And, uh, in season four, we did three blocks. We did that three times. And in season five, we did it four times, which was very long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you just wrapped that? We just wrapped. Are you so yeah. tired? I am so tired. Thank you for coming to this interview <laughs> and not just going to go take a nap. It's next. Yeah. Yeah. Nap is after this. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interview then nap. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So do you have any projects that are kind of lined up? In the interim, like before the next drunk history, or are you like gonna take a little break? I actually am taking a little bit of a break. Good, being married. So <gasps> congratulations! Thanks. I gotta do that. Um, are you production designing your wedding? Oh my god, I am production designing the smallest version mm-hmm. of a wedding that is possible. That's but amazing. Yes, and I'm marrying an art director, so um, it's gonna look so good. I mean, I. <laughs> think so yeah. but i yeah it'll probably look good good I hope so. all right <laughs> yeah. good so that, that's a good thing to take a break for so yeah so. i'm getting married and then i've got a couple nibbles on a couple movies um but i kind of this emmy nomination sort of surprised me so yeah. i'm and congratulations kind of, on that thank you thank you um so i'm kind of waiting to see like you know what becomes of that and um where that takes me hopefully new places awesome yeah. so then i, I want to talk a little bit more about life as a production designer mm-hmm. as far as like career-wise and, like, advice you might have for people wanting to get into something like that. Because what we heard from uh, our our last On the Fly episode with Gary is that, Mm -hmm. you know, you just kind of make some connections and go. He was just an art school kid that got into this, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you... Similar story. Yeah, similar story. I think um, if you're interested... I think, first of all, what's really important is you have to feel something inside of you that will not settle. You know, and I know that's, like, again, sort of a nebulous concept, but for me, like, I... I really felt something inside of me like I can I can do this like I can do something I can be the boss of it I can run the department and um, you have to have like a really strong desire to tell stories I think if you don't have those things um, when it gets tough I think you'll probably quit and it's really easy to quit mm-hmm. um, but you know I think you don't have to have any sort of specific background so you know, I was artsy, but I wasn't like some amazing painter. You know, I didn't go to architecture school, which a lot of production designers do. I was kind of just an artsy kid. So I think if you're interested in it, the first thing to do is, um, I hate to say it, but I interned, you work for free and it sucks. Yeah. I feel Um, like you have to. But it's like, it's kind of the weird thing about the film industry is that even the unpaid positions, people don't want to really give you a shot unless you've proven that you're, you know, like can handle it. Because a lot of people, it's it's a pretty difficult demanding job, even the lowest paid positions or the most unpaid positions. So I think people want to see like if you can handle it. Yes. And so you have to work for free. So I'm sorry, world. It sucks. But if you do it once, because I only did it once. The next one I said, well, I think I showed you I was awesome, so now you can pay me. And, like, they did. So you have to be tenacious for your own self as well. You have to, you know, people will try and exploit you. You, People will try and get you to work for free forever. And you have to know your own worth, you know. You really have to know your own value and say, like, well, I think I'm worth a paycheck, even if it's the lowest – most minimum wage or under minimum wage a lot of times, you know, not that I advocate that Mm because I so don't, but it happens, you know, and – that's how I started. So, you know, I worked on, a, and I got my start in web, which um, 
a lot of people don't really see as a super legitimate form of filmmaking, but yeah, I but completely disagree. Yeah. I think web is kind of changed the game in a lot of ways. It's like opened up a whole category of storytelling for people that may not have the access to come to Hollywood and, mm -hmm. and do this. I think web is a way that a lot of really good storytellers get their content made. Yeah. So I started in web and I did web series and web series and web series. And, you know, once people felt confident that I wasn't going to annihilate their budget, you know, it just grows from there. And, um, then I, you know, got into the art directors guild. And then from there, that's kind of given me more access to TV shows and movies that, you know, are going to go to theaters and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right on. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's something that we've kind of heard from all of the production people that we've talked to is you just have to go and start doing it. Yeah, you have to just... Whether it's for just, free or not. And right. So if you're in the middle of America, you're not in L.A., find other people who are filmmakers. And right. And be like, I want to... I want to make some sets. Right, Let's... because everybody knows creative people, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, some of my favorite projects are, like, things that probably not that many people have heard of. But um, it's really important, too, I think, to be a good collaborator. You know, I think a lot of times in the film industry, you might find people who, like, I want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. And I myself am totally guilty of that. Like, I love being in charge of my department. But also I think you've got to be a really good team player, and you have to kind of wear both hats. Right. You know, without... Without wearing both hats, you're. I think you're. You're not going to find yourself as successful mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, everyone just wants to work with cool people who are like their buddies, yeah. who like love what they do and have passion. Mm -hmm. And I think if you fit into that category, I think anyone can succeed in this industry. Yeah, I think from. Uh, I, I've worked all sorts of different jobs, but there's something about a crew mm -hmm. that's your crew that just feels like something different. Yeah, you feel like you're achieving something bigger. Yeah, whether it's the smallest little web series or like. Right a huge movie right exactly just the camaraderie is yeah. different than everywhere it's else. amazing and i think that when you open yourself up to what other people are thinking about something and how they would do it i think it only makes the project better i mean yeah. obviously you need to have the hierarchy to keep the project going when you move really fast it can't be a forum in every scenario it can't but um that's why i love drunk history because even though there is a hierarchy director you know all it, it Everyone is so excited about the project, and everyone's really open to ideas. It's a really safe, creative space, which is, like, just a dream come true to work in. Right. Yeah. Now, have you had any situations that were not so dreamy, and you don't have to say any names of things, <laughs> but just to kind of give a, another side of it? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think even now with the success that I've had and the projects I've worked on, I think a lot of people, I get underestimated pretty frequently. People see like this tiny, yeah. you can't tell, but I'm very short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, people see this kind of tiny person and they might think like, oh, she doesn't know how to build or she doesn't know how to manage a large budget. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I first started, that was way worse. Now it's, it's lessened, but you know, it still happens. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first started, um, yeah, I've had some setbacks. I've had, you know, I've never been fired. Okay. Okay, so, so fingers far. crossed. Let's Doing keep good so that far. good. But um, I've definitely made giant mistakes, uh -huh. you know. Do you want, like, a story where I if did If you like, have one. I have a story. Okay. Makes me look terrible, but I think it's okay. Um, I was working on this movie. I was super new. And um, in, the, in the shot, we needed, like, glasses of champagne and a bottle of champagne. And so I had just kind of learned that, like, you can't show real labels unless you get that approved or it's product placed. And this was a really small movie, so, like, there was no clearance on mm -hmm. using champagne labels. And so the prop master had given me the, the bottle, and the label was already removed, and the new label was on it. And I 
um, we were shooting with like an A-list actor that day. We'd gotten him for like, you know, 40 minutes or whatever. And so I brought the champagne out and the, the glasses and I was pouring it. And he said to me, is this real champagne? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's probably really cheap anyway. Like, it's probably not very good. And he flipped out in front of the whole crew. He was a recovering alcoholic. Uh-huh. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know that you couldn't have real alcohol on set. It was a whole ordeal. Um, and it was, like, probably the most embarrassing moment in my life. Uh-huh. So but, there you, you know. go, world. There it is. It's out there. But those there. mistakes, though, like, you know you'll never do that again. I will never do that again. No. <laughs> like, you'll never bring alcohol to a set. Like, even on like, Drunk History. Even on Drunk History. Except See, for the, that is your Drunk History. There. That's my Drunk History. <laughs> it came back around. I knew there was something. Oh, it was so embarrassing. But Somebody um, not wanting to get drunk. Amazingly, I didn't get fired. So um, there's hope. Even if you totally screw up in the biggest way in front yeah. of a giant celebrity, like, it's okay. Um, yeah, it was really bad. But yeah. it worked out okay. Yeah, and, but, like, if you're a good person to work with, like, mistakes happen. We're human, you know? Right. It's like, just because it's a movie, it's like, it's not perfect. Like, right. you need to be perfect. Right, we're not you machines. aim for perfection yeah. or, like, try just do, everybody's just doing the best they can. Right, Come everyone's on. doing the best they can. <laughs> I know. So, um, anyway, the prop master, if she's watching this, is probably cringing. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, we promise to never talk about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got it. Oh, no. So, are there any, like, really big, like, production wins where you're, like, this was some insurmountable challenge and we did it. I don't want to sound dramatic, but basically every day on Drunk History. Every day. Yeah, I can believe that. It's when we pull it off, you know, when people are like, when Derek and Jeremy are watching the monitor of the filmmaking and they're laughing, like that is the most gratifying moment, you know? And I think um, on that movie I mentioned before, Brave New Jersey, um, that was a really hard movie. We were in Tennessee. Um, we were shooting overnights, and it was like monsoon season in Ooh. Tennessee. And so, um, you know, and we were we were all really scrambling. And the writer came up to me and um, said that the world we had created looked better than what was in his head. And I just, you know, that's like the biggest compliment you can receive because I'm not in their head, you mm-hmm. know? And sometimes it's really hard for people to communicate what they want or it's mm-hmm. like you just can't get it. And for him to say that was just like, like that Amelie moment when she puts her hand in mm-hmm. the grain and it's like orange. Yes, everything's so wonderful. Yeah, that's how it felt for me because I was like, what a compliment, you know? So um, I think when we, like when you hit it, when you hit the nail on the head, that feeling is such a high. You really yeah. like, nothing compares to that feeling of, of bringing to life something that all of these people have put so much time and so much effort and so much passion into for you to like get it right. It's right. just such an awesome feeling. Oh, that's so great. And then, and I wanted to, to touch a little bit more on the fact that like you are a creative, but in your position, you're also managerial. Mm, very much. And yeah. you have to meld that. And that's yeah. not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Yeah. How does that work for you? Well, I, um, am lucky because I'm, I'm pretty good with budgets good. and I, I think it's born out of necessity as well because I did start on tiny little projects and I think something about that has never left me. Um, my line producer might disagree, but, well. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I think I learned from the beginning that it's great if you can come up with a design, but it's gotta be a design within parameters, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of people, kind of struggle with that if they're trying to get into production design that it's your job to make like the craziest world and it's like well it's the craziest world within the parameters of the show and so if you um go outside those parameters like you're actually detracting from the design because that means that maybe the next scene can't be as good you know so I think um to be a really effective production designer I think you have to kind of have a again uh, two different hats yeah you know you have to be wildly creative and and a good collaborator but you also have to 
you know, understand that money also plays a huge factor in right. it. Right. You know, because... And time. Right, exactly. And time. Like, you know, if I, I can't get precious, I, that's what Drunk History is great for. It's like boot camp for ideas. And my favorite teacher, her name's Anne Elizabeth Shapira. She's amazing. She wrote this book. Um, she called It's called Make It Worth It. And it's an amazing book on how to not, how to succeed in whatever field you do. And, um, you know, she taught... the title of it? Make It Worth It. Yeah. Make It Worth It. Okay. Anne Elizabeth Shapira. She's amazing. And she taught me that ideas don't have feelings. And I say that to myself or to my crew to every single day. That is brilliant. I know. Ideas don't have... People have feelings. Right. So, like, be careful how you convey things. But ideas don't have feelings. So, um, I kind of carry that with me. And I think that's why on Drunk History we can move so fast. Because, like, I might have some amazing idea. But if we can't pull it off, like, I have to let it go. Mm-hmm. You know? And because we're telling so many stories in history, I, I can't afford to get precious about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really, um, I, I, I feel like that if I had like a slogan, yeah. ideas don't have feelings. It, ideas don't have feelings. Yeah, they don't. That, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's like, I'm one of those people that's like, always an idea when you can't execute it. I've gotten better of, at this over the years mm-hmm. because I came to the realization that like ideas are also infinite. Mm-hmm. So like they don't have feelings and you could throw them away. There's more that are going to come. Yes. Because uh, like, I, I remember early in my career, I was thinking, you know, like, okay, this is like really great idea. I have to make this one right. idea work because everything else might be terrible. Right. But the matter. thing too is sometimes people get caught up in, I have this idea and I can't move forward until I execute it the exact way I want. Yeah. And I'm certainly not an advocate of like, it's good enough, put it on camera. Like I am definitely a perfectionist, right. like as much as I can be, you know, but you can't let that get in the way of you actually executing things. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had advice for people is even if you don't have all the money, even if you don't have the actors, even if you don't have everything you want, make it anyway, you know, because everything you make will improve your body of work and will improve your skill set. And it, it shows that you can create things. And a lot of times, you know, everybody has ideas. Everyone on the street has ideas. Yeah. But if you can't execute those ideas, you won't ever stand out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important part of drunk history as well, because you just, you have to go, um, with your first idea. That's another teaching of Anne Elizabeth. I can't say enough good about her. Mm-hmm. Um, she always taught me that in comedy, your first thought is your best thought. Like your brain knows what's funny. If you're like a funny person, you know, what's funny, you know, what's good. Just go with that. And so that's another thing in drunk history. Like I said, we may only have 10, 15 minutes to Mm -hmm. talk about a set. Like, okay, we're in Lincoln's library. What do you want this to be? The joke is this. And you know, we can't spend all this time like, well, what's the best version of Lincoln's library? Because like, who cares? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think those, those two things are really like my tenets of being a production designer. Yeah. yeah. You just like run by instinct a little bit. You kind of have to, you have to trust yourself, you know? And I think like if I could tell past Chloe anything, you know, is like have the confidence that your ideas are good. Your ideas are good. Everyone, mm-hmm. ha- you know, you can, you have good ideas and like, you know, you know, what's funny, you know, what's good, you know, what looks good. Yeah. And like. I I think in the beginning, like, you're kind of second-guessing, is this good? You know, you compare yourself to everybody. You can't really do that. You have to just trust your gut and go for it because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, now I have an Emmy nomination. So, yes, you like, do. It worked for me, so do that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you touched on this a little bit about people underestimating you, um, and I, I don't know too much about the, the demographic in mm-hmm. art department stuff. Is it mostly male? I would say it's predominantly male. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of amazing female production designers, and there's so many nominated for Emmys this year, which is awesome to see women getting recognition as artists mm-hmm. because 
um, we can do so much more than just like decorate and pick out curtains, you know, like we can do the heavy design lifting that's required of these really massive shows. Um, but the cool thing is my crew is almost all women and it's not really by design. It's just that, um, I tried to hire the people that I felt really could grasp the pace without panicking because Mm -hmm. like a lot of people can't handle it. Yeah. Um, and I tried to find people that understood that whimsy and that collaborative environment. And that's really, really important to me, um, as a department head that everybody kind of understands, like at the end of the day, this is drunk history and like no one should be crying when they go home. Nobody should work all night on something like we should, you know, understand the parameters that we have and we should make this fun because I mean, our jobs are amazing and we're so privileged to be able to make this cool stuff that like we don't need to have bad days about it. Yeah. So I've just found that, um, the more women that I talked to really kind of shared that feeling with me and, um, you know, I'd like to say we have a pretty good reputation in the art department community that um, we have like a bazillion set dressers because we have to because we move so mm-hmm. fast. And so, um, you know, we have like I heard that people were like, please, I want to work with you. I want to work on drunk history, which is just so gratifying to me because it could be terrible, you know, yeah. like with how fast we move. It really could be a grind. But mm-hmm. and it's not that it's not hard. I mean, our set dressers, if call time is 7 a.m., our set dressers will get there at 5 by 7.45, company is shooting. By 9, the set is done. By 11, it's down in a truck back to the rental house, and another truck is doing rounders, dropping things off. So it's a hustle, and it's a grind, and people are tired. But I'd like to think that we've kind of fostered this really collaborative, like, safe environment, and yeah. that people say they really love working on the show. So That's good. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the demographic male-female, I do find that it's – mainly men but um i think it's shifting you know yeah even in in season our season four crew was like half women and i would say season five was about three quarters Mm -hmm. and again not by design but um we just are we were given a couple more positions on our crew and when we interviewed people like these amazing women came forward this amazing graphic designer came forward and this coordinator came forward and it was like um it was kind of kismet really yeah yeah. and what i'm really liking is seeing the shift that more women are just getting into the field yeah and yeah. any production thing so yeah you know as I'm working more and you know I, I just see I used to be like maybe the only girl that was yeah. around but I never thought much about it because right. I'm just like oh we're just working we're just working yeah until somebody pointed out you're the only girl here yeah it's definitely something that I I like I notice sometimes I'll be standing there and I'm like oh man it's all dudes mm-hmm. like it's just me and a bunch <laughs> of dudes like okay and which like whatever you know yeah. it's fine but um it's really awesome when when it's not that way. And I, I really am so proud of my team for this Emmy nomination because they worked so hard for it and to be recognized for it is just awesome. You know, it's awesome in comedy as a woman to be recognized because yeah. it's, it's something that I think is still kind of rare. It's so good. Yeah. It's very, very exciting. Awesome. So any last minute um, advice for people watching at home on production design or just getting into production at all? I think the best advice I have is just go for it. If you're watching this and you're looking for a sign, this is the sign. Yeah. Make your thing. Yes. Find, That's what I say all the time. Yeah. Do the thing. Do the thing. You've got to just do the thing. Like, yeah. you have to just make it because um, it's such a rewarding career. It's really hard and you're always tired 
and like you don't see your friends a lot um but it's so so rewarding and um maybe you too will have to reschedule your honeymoon for an emmy nomination yeah. who knows <laughs> whoops <laughs> i know what a bummer right? oh silly silly <laughs> emmy nomination so crazy <laughs> great well thank you so much for chatting with me you heard it once again go out there do the thing make your creative projects right. and get your experience right. just go out there and do it so yeah. chloe tell everyone where they can find you you can find my work at chloearbiture.com and um i promise i'll get a twitter after this yeah. and I'll tweet funny things yeah, maybe maybe that you think is cool <laughs> on Instagram I think I think for production design Instagram would be cool yeah I've got an Instagram as well um, I don't put a lot on it yeah. so maybe this it's is okay. a turning point for or me just like follow her career she's out there she's about to win an Emmy <laughs> she's so. gonna kill it thank you so much for joining me thank today you. I'm Mary Lou Mandel we will see you next time on On the Fly Filmmaking from producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.